the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Everybody gets into this picture. Listen, everybody's concerned for everybody else. Epaphroditus is concerned for the Philippians. The Philippians are concerned for Epaphroditus. Paul's concerned for Epaphroditus. Paul's concerned for the Philippians. And everybody's concerned for everybody else. That is what Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 mean. Don't look on your own interests. And it did cost Paul. He lost his companion. He lost, in a sense, a nurse. He lost somebody who was taking care of him. He didn't have a whole lot of people around him to do this. So it really cost him something. It wasn't comfortable for Paul to do this. Paul's feelings as he sent away Epaphroditus must have been similar to those that are felt by a congregation sending out a missionary from their midst. One of the most important characteristics of an effective missionary is a servant's heart. It is also a characteristic that endears them to the congregation sending them out. As a result, there is a mixture of grief and joy. No one wants to see dear friends depart, but we rejoice in anticipation of what God will do in the lives of others because we unselfishly release people like Epaphroditus to go where God sends them. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is our teacher for these daily radio Bible classes. We're glad you could join us today for the conclusion of a three-part message, part of a series of lessons from the second chapter of Philippians. The series is on church unity. Pastor Steve has been serving as the teaching pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We at Verse by Verse Ministries are pleased to present his expository messages to you through this great station. In our last class, Pastor Steve began to acquaint us with a relatively obscure man named Epaphroditus, who was a wonderful example of a Christ follower with a servant's heart. Let's pick up right there. We will be starting in verse 26 of Philippians chapter 2. Let's look again at verse 26 and you'll see why he was sending him back. Because, here's the reason, he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard he was sick. You know what this means? In other words, he's worried over their worry. You realize that? What an incredible statement that is. He's concerned over their concern for him. He's anxious over their anxiety. John MacArthur, in connection with this, says, what planet did this guy drop out from? I mean, there. This is a rare breed. I don't understand. I don't know if you if you quite understand and grasp this. He's not just mildly concerned. Paul uses the word longing and distressed. Longing or yearning for, maybe translated that way, is the same word that Peter uses in First Peter two two, like a newborn babe longing for mama's milk. Peter uses that. A newborn babe longing for milk. Paul says he is longing for you. He is yearning for you. But I think the key word here is distressed. Greek scholar by the name of J.B. Lightfoot has said this about this word. 
He writes, although the root meaning of this word distressed is not clear, the word describes the confused, restless, half-distracted state which is produced by physical derangement or by mental distress as grief, shame, disappointment, etc. In other words, anguish, severe distress of mind. The, The man is stressed out, we would say in our 20th century. He's stressed out. He's in distress because his his illness has caused the Philippians to be concerned. By the way, this word distress is the same word that uh, that is used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That that ought to give you the intensity of it. Troubled, distressed. He's he's beside beside himself. That's what we would say. He's beside himself with concern for them. Now this is incredible. This is ama- I agree with MacArthur. This guy is like from another planet. When was the last time? You heard about someone feeling this concerned about how other people felt concerning their problem. When? He's not concerned because he almost died. He's not concerned because of other things. He's concerned because he knows the, that the Philippians have been concerned about him. And he's concerned about them being concerned about his concern. If you can follow that, you'll see how incredible that is. And it may very well be that the Philippians, he, he's felt like, uh, well, you Philippians must feel responsible for, for me almost dying because, after all, you sent me. And that, that may have entered into it. He knows this. And uh, he's, he's desperate to relieve their anxiety. Here's a man that demonstrates what, what I believe the Bible teaches concerning love for the brethren. He is so much in love with the people of his church that he can't stand it that they're worried about him. Great illustration of love. He's so concerned that he can't even continue helping Paul. So Paul sending him back to alleviate the uh, anxiety of Epaphroditus and the anxiety of the Philippians church. It's important that we understand that Paul did not rebuke him. I think some of us might have rebuked him. Paul didn't do it. Paul didn't say, Epaphroditus, get your act together. Man, we're in this for the kingdom's sake and your, your mind's a million miles away. Come on, stop being wimpy about this. You've got work to do. Stop worrying about what others think about you. You notice Paul never, never rebukes him. Never. He didn't say, snap out of this and let's get going. He didn't do this. And the reason he didn't do this is because Epaphroditus' attitude didn't warrant a rebuke because it was born out of love. He wasn't trying to get out of work. Born out of love for the welfare of the Philippians, he's heartbroken because he cared about the people of his church. Great illustration to us of of what love in the early church was intended to be. You know, we read about love, we talk about love, we sing about love, but I think here you have an illustration of what God wants love to be amongst us. And I'll tell you one reason why it's not. One reason it's not is because, well, for one thing, we're we're too much into our own things. That's the point of this. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. But secondly, I think that we live in a day and age that knows very little about relationships with one another. We're too busy for that. And we're not interested. We're not interested in relationships. We're interested in things. The only things that seem to, only time that uh, we really um, seem to get distressed is when we lose money. Or things related to money like our job, houses, boats. Things like that. That really bothers us. That stresses us out. But people. People don't mean that much. 
We've lost a sense of relationship with people, and yet the Bible stresses relationship. Let me give you another example of this, other illustration. Acts chapter 20. I don't think this is isolated. I think this is the way it is supposed to be. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul has met the elders from Ephesus on an island called Miletus. And he explains to them, you're not going to see me anymore. Uh, this is our last time together. I've, I've poured out my life for you. I love you. And, and look at their response. Verse 36 of Acts chapter 20. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him. There's nothing feminine about this. This is just a, a very cultural um, type of thing that people along the Mediterranean Sea would do. It's their culture. Grieving, especially over the word which he had spoken, that they should see his face no more. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Just, can't you just picture it? Can't you just picture them just weeping and hugging Paul and walking with him and just breaking down and, and uh, saying, oh, no, Paul. And I mean, that is love. That is concern. That's relationship. I think we've lost we've lost that. The Bible stresses relationships. People matter. Their feelings count, not things. I remember when Gary Ezzo was here. Gary Ezzo is he and his wife have developed the parenting ministry that we we use. And Gary Ezzo said, you know, in our world, we tend to think of quality or quantity, a father, a mother, usually a father. Uh, if he cares about his children, has debated the question of quality or quantity time. You know what Gary Ezzo says? Neither. That's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, how can I build a relationship? But you see, we've got it in, my, in our mind. I've got five minutes. Let's have some quality time. Or I've got a whole day. Let's have some quantity time. He says, that's not even the issue. The issue is relationships. Relationships. We've lost that. But Epaphroditus was so concerned, you see his relationship coming through. So he's concerned for the Philippian church, which had heard he was sick, and they had heard correctly. That's why Paul says in verse 27, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. I mean, you've heard about it. He's longing for you, and you've got the accurate report. However, he says, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. God's mercy intervened, and Epaphroditus was restored to health. Now, I know the intent of this passage is not to give us a, um, a, a treatise on, on health and a treatise on healing, but let me just say as a footnote to this passage, because I think it teaches us some things. The verse indicates that not even an apostle could heal somebody uh, because they wanted to heal somebody. If, any, if ever Paul wanted to heal somebody because of his own desires, it would be Epaphroditus, but he didn't do that. Because healing is not like that. Healing is not something you say, hey, I think I'll heal you today. It's not like it wasn't like that at all. This verse indicates that not even an apostle could perform a miracle whenever he wanted to. If that was the case, then then why didn't Paul heal Epaphroditus or at least prevent his illness from becoming life threatening? But he didn't because he couldn't because healing is based upon God's sovereign will, not man's choice. And we need to keep that in mind. I think another insight on sickness is this. Oftentimes we hear, well, if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. I think it's a very cruel thing to say. Not only do I think that's heretical, I think it's cruel. I want you to understand that some people say it's faith. You just demand that God heals you. You just tell him. You just remind him that you're a child of the king and he's got to heal you. Notice what Paul says in verse 27. God had mercy on him. Mercy is not something you demand. Mercy is God's gracious uh, act of, uh, of, in, in terms of what you don't deserve. That's mercy. 
That's mercy. Why in the days of Jesus did people, uh, blind people, people needed to be healed, why did they come to him and say, Son of Davis, we, it's David, we demand that you heal us. No, they always said, have mercy on us. Why? Because they realized that they deserved everything they got. Everything. Judgment, illness. We all deserve that in light of God's holiness. It's only mercy that does anything in terms of, of intervening. So I think that's, that's important. Mercy. In the case of Epaphroditus, God was merciful to him and he healed him. He doesn't always do that, but he did it here. And not only that, he was also merciful to the Apostle Paul because at the end of verse 27, we read, and not on him only, but on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. That literally it's waves upon waves. Paul is, Paul is saying, you know, I was longing for him too. And if he died, I would have had more sorrow, more sorrow, wave upon wave. He was spared the grief of losing his beloved friends. Now, in addition to Epaphroditus being concerned about the Philippians, Paul was also concerned about their anxiety over Epaphroditus because verse 28 tells us, therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. See, Paul is concerned. He's saying, in other words, I'm eager for you to see Epaphroditus and rejoice so that I'll be relieved over my anxiety for you. Everybody gets into this picture. Listen. Everybody's concerned for everybody else. Epaphroditus is concerned for the Philippians. The Philippians are concerned for Epaphroditus. Paul's concerned for Epaphroditus. Paul's concerned for the Philippians. And everybody's concerned for everybody else. That is what Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 mean. Don't look on your own interests. And it, would, it, it did cost Paul. He lost his companion. He lost, in a sense, a nurse. He lost somebody who was taking care of him. He didn't have a whole lot of people around him to do this. So it really cost him something. It wasn't comfortable for Paul to do this. You see, it's Paul's idea to send Epaphroditus home, even though he still needed him. Epaphroditus didn't pack his bags, and Paul wake up one morning, where are you headed? No, Paul said, I'm sending him. He's just concerned for others, not his own needs. Story is told of General Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. Story is told that he was invited to speak at a convention once, but he was sick and he couldn't, he couldn't attend, so he wired a message to them. Now, they expected a, a message, like a sermon. However, there was only one word that that message contained. You know what it was? And it shocked people. Others. Others. That's all. If you understand that, you understand the message of servanthood. Others. Says it all. So a servant is marked by commitment. He's also marked by concern. Thirdly, servant is marked by courage. And we haven't seen this yet, and so this is somewhat new. Very important. Courage. Verse 29, therefore receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. This is a very interesting verse. Very interesting verse. He's telling the Philippians to give Epaphroditus a hero's welcome. Receive him, he writes, with gratitude and joy towards the Lord. Honor men like this, which means uh, hold them as precious. That's very interesting. You know why it's interesting? Why would Paul have to tell them to give him a hero's welcome? Unless he suspected there might be a problem. I mean, if they loved him so much and he loved them so much, why do you have to tell them when he gets there, I want you to give him a hero's welcome? Unless you suspect that they're going to give him something less than a hero's welcome. And I think that's the case. It's very possible that some of the Philippians, though very much concerned about Epaphroditus and very much in love with him, would consider his return to Philippi as the evidence of a failed mission. They sent him out with a love gift and to minister to Paul. And some of them may have had the attitude when he arrived there, we sent you to Rome to stay with Paul as long as he needed you. We didn't send you to abandon him and return home. 
because you're concerned, even though you're concerned about us. We don't want this. We wanted you to stay there. What are you doing here? This may be why throughout this passage, Paul stresses, I sent him home. He didn't want them to think that Epaphroditus sent himself home. And I think that's that's an accurate picture of what was going on there. So why should they give Epaphroditus a hero's welcome and not criticize him for leaving Paul? Well, verse 30 tells us, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. You know why you welcome someone like this with open arms and hold him as a hero and precious because he almost died for the service of Christ? He risked his life. That's why. He risked his life. In the Greek language, this is really only one word. And you know what this word is? I'm not even going to try to pronounce it for you, but it means, and I'll translate it, he gambled with his life. That's the term, he risked his life. He gambled with his life, one word. And the thought is that Epaphroditus gambled with his life by serving Paul. He took a calculated risk to go to Rome and identify with a prisoner who may be uh, executed. He put his life on the line for the sake of Jesus Christ. You see, he could have been held prisoner, too. They could have said, you're his friend, right? You believe the same things, right? You serve the same God, right? Come on with us because you're going to be executed, too. He risked his life. In fact, he almost died. Even though he wasn't executed, he almost died out there. He gambled his life for the sake of Christ. Servants are marked by courage. They're marked by gambling for the right person. Not with money, but with their lives for service. So if anybody asks you if you believe in gambling, yes. Gambling with your life for Christ. They take risks. If you love security, then you can't be a servant. Can't be a servant. Ministry involves taking risks and trusting Christ in the midst of those risks. We don't know what the future holds for none of, none of us. Now, we know if we know Christ that we know that we're going to go to heaven, as Linda has, uh, has sung for us. But as far as the immediate future, we don't know. But to serve Christ means gambling our lives and risking them for his sake. It means putting yourself in situations where you may be uncomfortable. But that's where God has called you to serve. You take a risk. It may mean taking a risk with your finances for the cause of Christ. Nothing is sure. We play the stock market. We do other things with our money. We take risks. Taking risks with money could be for the cause of Christ. That's just part of service. It may mean putting yourself in a situation where your life is in danger, like Epaphroditus. It may mean as a church family that we take a risk as a church, that we do things that haven't been done before, that might even backfire on us. Nothing is for sure. You take risks. You know, someone has said this, that the seven last words of the church are these, we've never done it that way before. You might say the seven last words of a dying church. We've never done it that way before. Well, you need to take risks. Will you courageously take a risk for Christ? Will you have that courage? That's part of being a servant. Epaphroditus did. And others who would serve Christ have to. You lay your life on the line. You lay your comforts on the line. You take risks. Yes, it may lead to danger. Yes, it may, it may lead to losing money in some respects. Although investing in the Lord's work, you never really lose. In the early days of the church, there was an association of Christian men and women who named themselves after Epaphroditus. In fact, he was their hero. And they named themselves with the Greek name, but I'll just translate it for you. They called themselves the gamblers. 
What a name for a Christian group, right? The gamblers. It was their ministry to risk their lives by visiting prisoners and sick folks, especially those who were dangerously, uh, who were dangerous with infectious diseases. In 250 AD, a plague broke out in the city of Carthage, and the heathen of that city threw out the bodies of the dead and they fled in terror. They didn't, they didn't know how to handle this. But Cyprian, who was the Christian bishop of that city, gathered his congregation together, and you know what they did? They risked their lives by burying the dead, and they nursed the sick. Courage. It's a mark of a servant. It's a mark of a Christian servant. Why is that relevant to us? Eventually, the church is going to have to wake up to the fact that uh, AIDS people need to be ministered to. You and I are going to have to make some kind of a statement as far as what we're going to do with AIDS victims. Risk our lives. It may mean gambling our lives, taking risks with our lives to minister for Christ's sake to those who are going to die. You say, but I could get infected. That's right. You could, possibly. Service means courage. Put others first or yourself. And then Paul closes with one other reason why they ought to give him a hero's welcome. He writes, not only did he risk his life, but he risked his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. I don't think Paul is criticizing them, though the English language sounds like that. You were deficient. I, I think he simply means that he risked his life because he loved Paul and uh, he was doing what the Philippians could do because of their distance from Paul. I, I think that's all it means. I don't think he's being critical. He's just saying, he was in your place. You couldn't do this, so he, he did it for you. Now, as we conclude this chapter on servanthood and unity, how has it affected you? That's the real question. Has it made you determined to serve others? If it hasn't, then you have been simply a hearer of the word and not a doer. Has it made you determined to be sensitive to other people, to listen to them, to not be determined that you're going to monopolize the conversation, to think about what they're going through, to put yourself in their shoes, to be sensitive to their feelings, to risk your life, to serve others. If it hasn't accomplished that, then you really haven't gotten the message. But if it has, then you know what the result will be? Not only will you be a servant, but we'll have harmony in our church, and which I think we do. But we'll also be aware that we won't let Satan come in and, and bring disunity. Even when there's disagreements, when you have this attitude, you never have a church split. You never have division because you have others esteeming others better than themselves. That reminds me of something important to healthy marriages. Both partners in a successful marriage should consider the happiness of the other person to be essential to their own happiness. If you are a Christ follower, you will find the most satisfaction in serving other people rather than yourself. Sometimes that means getting out of our comfort zone and taking emotional or even financial risks. Perhaps you might even put your physical life on the line. But really, as Pastor Steve mentioned, the risk is a short-term one. When we are doing the work of our Heavenly Father, we will never lose in the long run. Thank you for joining us today. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he has been serving since 1981. If you are ever in Clearwater on a Sunday morning, Pastor Steve would love to meet you. Lakeside is at 1893 Sunset Point Road. That's midway between U.S. 19 and the beaches. These Bible classes of the air are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. 
a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to hear today's lesson again, you can find it at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You will also find previous broadcasts on the archives page. And if you look around, you will find other features, such as a place to sign up for our free podcasting service or our newsletter. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the conclusion of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, we have CDs and cassettes available. To order one, call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. When people mention my religion, I bristle. Now, I shouldn't, but I can't seem to help it. You see, religion is a guaranteed one-way ticket to hell. It's been well said that the world would be a far better place if more people would stop enduring religion and start enjoying salvation. As we move into chapter 3 of Philippians on the next verse-by-verse, Pastor Steve will begin a comparison of joy and legalism, two attitudes which are mutually exclusive. I hope to see you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.